Welcome to the Mom Powerment Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids, even when they are experiencing their most challenging behaviors. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Mom Powerment Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Welcome to our show today, Dr. Claudia Gold. Dr. Gold is an infant family specialist, a pediatrician, director of the Hello, It's Me Project, and is on the faculty at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, in the Infant Parental Mental Health Program. She's the author of four books, The Developmental Science of Early Childhood, The Silenced Child, Keeping Your Child in Mind, and her most recently published book, Congratulations, this past summer, on the power of discord. So Dr. Gold, thank you so much for taking the time out of your, I'm sure, busy and hectic schedule to share some things today that might help parents listen to this podcast inspire, educate, uh, support, maybe help them to see something that they're doing that they're already doing that, hey, you're doing a great job with this, like keep it up. um, Because we're all about the health and the wholeness of our kids. And I love how you put it in one area of of your book where um, let's support the healthy development of our next generation. And I was just like, yeah, let's do it, Dr. Gold. So uh, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So in your book, The Silenced Child, I kind of want to go back to that book because there are a couple of things that stuck out uh, to me um, that I think might be really awesome and helpful to share with parents at this point. And you share that children are being silenced and their development stunted in the age of quick diagnoses and over-medication. So can you walk us through, um, what do you mean by children are being silenced? So thank you so much for calling attention to this book, which, as I told you in our email conversations, is actually my favorite of my four books. Um, And I love the way you use the word empower, because really my hope is to empower parents. But the reason the book is called The Silenced Child is the angle from which I came to write it, which was as a pediatrician, where... I was really profoundly disturbed by what I was seeing um, in uh, the way things that were very complicated that were going on in families that I was able to uh, uncover once I protected space and time to listen to them were being vastly oversimplified in terms of diagnostic categories, uh, often placing problems in children when it was really a much more complicated relational, sometimes generational issue. And this oversimplification, often in the form of things like behavior management and increasingly medication, which was what I, as a, as a practicing pediatrician, was in my view, silencing these stories. So kind of looking back on it, um, I felt a lot of outrage uh, from my experience as a pediatrician to see this. 
um, and sort of if I had to do it over, I might speak less from that place of outrage and more from a place of encouragement and empowerment. So were you new coming up with this idea or how did you recognize that kids needed that space to be listened to? Okay, well, that was a developmental process of my own um, where I, from very early on in my professional life, saw a pediatrician as someone who is in a, a position of prevention so that you have a, fa- a relationship with a family, um, sometimes even before the baby is born and over time. And um, so that's why I decided to become a pediatrician. Um, and I actually did a fellowship in developmental and behavioral pediatrics, um, which was kind of the, the natural route to this thing I wanted to do, um, which was to support healthy emotional development of, of kids and families. Um, but I wasn't really uh, learning what I needed to know. So I learned a lot about tools and advice and, uh, again, management and Often I found myself, even though I was kind of in the right place at the right time, I was in a very busy uh, small town practice. So I did go to deliveries in the middle of the night. I did get to know families very well, but I didn't really know what to do. My, the training that I had as a pediatrician and even with the, the specialization hadn't really helped me. And then I had a very uh, lucky ex- event happen, which is that the Berkshire Psychoanalytic Institute opened up like. 10 miles down the road from my house in the middle of the country. Um, And uh, I had the opportunity to study there. And I was, I learned things that pediatricians just don't learn. So there's a lot of knowledge out in the world that is siloed from medical training that is so relevant. Um, And I began to use that knowledge in my practice. And it was completely transformative. And I saw kids get better and families heal in in just these incredibly powerful ways. Um, And that actually, that experience motivated me to write my first book, which is Keeping Your Child in Mind. Um, And then I also discovered the world of infant mental health, which is really where I found my people, uh, because that integrates a lot of different things kind of well beyond the scope of psychoanalysis. Um, And I also had the opportunity to to start my own clinic um, and and hear a lot more of these stories as I became more specialized. Um, But at the same time, that almost made it worse because then I saw what was going on because I had so much rich clinical experience while I was also seeing the huge escalation in diagnosis of psychiatric disorders in kids. Um, So that that uh, led actually to the book, The Silence Child, th- those next experiences. So can you break it down for us just, just a little bit of what does that look like? Like when, when the child comes in and the parent is, is upset because either they're displaying X, Y, and Z behaviors, mm-hmm. can, can you give us a little glimpse into what that might yes. start looking sure. like a little bit? Well, Yes. And, and as I've had a lot more experience over the years and then written uh, yet another book, which is for professionals, I've been able to kind of distill it down into a, a, a model. So absolutely the first thing is to recognize that when 
people come to the doctor for an evaluation of their child, it's, it can be a very terrifying experience because there's a fear that there's something wrong with your child, there's something wrong with you as a parent. Um, and so the very first thing is to recognize that kind of biological state of feeling threatened that in a very uh, adaptive way, parents feel when they come to my office. So the, the most important thing, this is where I talk about space and time for listening, is literally the space, which is a little bit more challenging in the virtual world, but, but still possible. So the hour, the length of the time, so that it's not 15 minutes, it's an hour, which is not an enormous amount of time, but it's a big difference from 15 or even 30 minutes. The kind of uh, openness of the visit that it's not structured by a set of questions. It's, you know, here we are, we have an hour, you, you've put aside all your other responsibilities. We're gonna kind of play around and see what happens. Um, so, so those are the first things. Um, this, I, yeah, these are all simultaneous, but I will I have, to, I have to just describe them in some kind of order. Um, the second is what's the core of my second book, which is first book, which is keeping your child in mind, which is that the idea is that by creating that kind of safe space where a parent can feel calm, they can begin to be curious about what is their child's behavior communicating, not what is wrong with my child or what do I do to manage the behavior, but what is the behavior all about? So extensive decades of research have shown that when parents can have that kind of stance of wonder, I wonder what this is, that that in and of itself is so healthy uh, and growth promoting for children. So that's kind of the second layer is promoting that stance of wonder. The third is to really be respectful of what the child is bringing to the relationship. So that involves a lot of, for babies, observation, you know, and for older kids listening to the history, was the baby particularly unsettled, particularly fussy? Were there feeding issues? Did the baby cry more than, or was maybe the baby more quiet than they expected? But really listening to what are the qualities that the baby has brought to the relationship. Um, and then the next layer, I would say, is recognizing that that's sort of a false dichotomy. It's not like it's the mother and then the baby, but in the moment-to-moment -moment interactions, they affect each other. And to be um, appreciative of how in the moment-to-moment -moment interactions where they often misread each other's cues, and that's where the idea of the good enough mother comes in, that actually it's in the mistakes and the not quite getting it, that healthy development happens. So looking at the, the parents' reflective capacities, the qualities in the baby, how they interact with each other and how they get through from misunderstanding to understanding and trying to get that into, usually by the when they come to see me, they're engaged in kind of dis, mutual dysregulation. Like the mother gets anxious, the child feels stressed, the child is, the mother is less able to comfort the child, the child gets more agitated. So we want to turn that into a an interaction that's more one where it, each one calms the other. Um, and then <laughs> the last sort of overarching theme of the whole thing is this idea that's, that's rooted in the work of child psychiatrist Bruce Perry 
uh, and is summed up in the motto, regulate, relate, reason, that people cannot uh, hear what you're saying until they themselves feel regulated. And that's true of the parent and of the child. And then once they feel engaged in a relationship, which is in, in this case is the clinical relationship with me, um, they can then begin to, th to think about what's going on and to engage and, and to reason. So that regulate, relate, reason sort of um, overlies the entire uh, individual clinical interaction, but the whole treatment. So there it is in a nutshell. <laughs> And then do you also kind of coach parents or give them like tips of like, Hey, when your child is in this, in this situation, like, do you, do you guide them? Like, here's a good, like question to use, or here's a good. Okay. Uh, so like I'll that. give you a whole other sort of overarching theme. Okay. I gave you those, those um, five pieces, but really an overarching theme is to engage a parent's natural expertise. So I'm not going to be withholding. It's not like I'm never going to give somebody a piece of advice. But more often than not, uh, and this happened to me just the other day, and, and I still fall into it. You know, I so want to help. And I so want to say, oh, why don't you try this? And it's just inevitably, almost always, when I do that before I really understand what's going on, it totally backfires. So... I can open up possibilities. This was a, a case where um, it's actually fascinating. It was uh, effects of the, of the pandemic where a child who was just about to turn two when everything shut down and the child kind of stopped talking and the parents were really, really worried that maybe the child had autism, even though the child was fine up until the pandemic. And so I watched them a little bit and I saw how the mother who, who was the most anxious that there was something wrong with the child was very uh, kind of aggressive in pushing the child to talk. So, you know, I was like, well, this child is two and you're telling him to talk. So he's not talking to me. This was obviously a kind of battle of wills. But I didn't know her well enough to say, you know, it looks to me like you're pressuring him into talking and maybe if you lay back a little bit, but I did. And sure enough, I kind of lost her. You know, I, I was so smart and I saw, okay, well, this is the dynamic that you've gotten stuck in. And I kind of jumped the gun a little bit. And, I, and I, it, I didn't know her well enough and I didn't understand the complexity of the situation well enough. So I think it's, it's sometimes, even though we feel this drive to help and tell people what to do, a colleague of mine talks about like just taking a deep breath and waiting because usually the parent understands the situation much better than I do. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, that is so helpful. And I think a lot of parents find themselves in that situation, but I love how you're, you know, just, you're actually teaching parents to sort of take the step back and, and maybe just even, they might even recognize it on their own even, right? Right. If they, will. if yes. they respect whatever the child is saying, doing, thinking, presenting and treat it with respect instead of maybe a quick judgment, like I can't believe my child is X, Y, Z. 
well, well, maybe like, let's just reflect and, and watch what's happening. And as you step away from it, maybe you'll see more to it than you see at first glance, possibly. Yeah. yeah. And, and then that, that very act of wondering before you that word. to control it, I love that, that wonder. of itself makes a child feel seen. And that's what we all want. We just yeah. want someone to, to see us, to understand us. And sometimes when you pause, you give them the opportunity to slowly say something. But sometimes we're probably saying stuff so fast that you don't even give the child a a minute to think, let alone, like you were saying, if you're not regulated, you're, you're not going to think clearly in that moment. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so you also say that the children are being silenced, but their development is stunted. How, how is this stunting their development? Well, again, this comes from my inside view of, of some things that were really problematic. So that sounds quite extreme, but it was what I was seeing. So let's say a child, um, well, the, I'll, again, I, I, I appreciate that I went back and looked at the book, <laughs> which I haven't looked at in a while, um, which was fun, um, is having sleep problems. And it, it, it's increasingly prevalent that children are given some pretty heavy duty medications for sleep problems. But if in fact, the child's sleep disruption, as is, was the case in, in, in one of the stories in the book, is related to the parents' early developmental trauma of abandonment, so that when the child was needy, this was so emotionally provocative for the mom because she herself was abandoned at that age that she kind of... Uh, shut down. So she was like physically there putting the child to sleep, but emotionally she was absent. So the child was really having a hard time making sense of this situation. And so it was completely hysterical at bedtime. So now if you come in and say, okay, well give your child, this is what happened in this case. Cause I just I wrote about it in the book and, and these are all um, uh, composite so that it doesn't violate uh, confidentiality, but these were elements of, of actual true stories where the um, the child was so beside himself that they thought maybe it was a seizure disorder and the child went to a neurologist who did an EEG and uh, prescribed a tricyclic antidepressant. Um, but really what was behind this, this very severe sleep disruption was this generational trauma. And until the mom could kind of connect with her own distress, she, it was very hard for her to be present with her dis, distraught child at bedtime. Right? And once yeah. the story could come out of what this was really about, then she could really uh, give him what he needed. And, if, and so the way in which in that situation, the way in which the development would have been stunted is if this story never came to light. Um, so, and so that's, that's what on meds from this to that, they probably would have kept trying different things, right? Yeah. And then it kind it. of can get into a spiral. Then you have the effects of the medication, yeah. the new diagnoses and, and it, it leads to this sort of downward spiral, which unfortunately happens all too frequently. Right. And this must be what just, fires and passions your work, right? Yes, yes. Wow, to see that you made that difference in that family, that child, which 
I'll say it changed the trajectory of that child's life. Right. And I, and, and the thing that really drives me is that you can do this with very young infants. I mean, I have another story in the book, if you don't mind me, mind me just yeah. going on a little yeah, bit, tell us. you know, with a four month old, okay. a four month old where the mom was convinced that there was something wrong with the child. Cause they were, what, what were they displaying? Well, actually, nothing atypical of oh. four-month-old, oh, but, okay. but the mom was was firmly convinced. And I have to tell you that when you hear stories of moms who struggle with postpartum depression or anxiety, you often will find this kind of thing, that even though the child looks fine, the parent has some profound worry that something is wrong with the child. And often they feel that it's their fault. Um so in this story, it was a, a mom um, who was, a, it was an immigrant family and both parents had had established careers in their country of origin, but the father was unable to work. So he was the primary caretaker. Um, and what emerged in our time together is that she was worried that the child didn't love her. Um, and the reason was that she was working. The child had been quite fussy in the first you know, six weeks while she was home with him. So she never really got in a good rhythm with the child. And then she went to work and the dad uh, was the primary caretaker, which was also very unusual for their culture, but a circumstance of their immigration status. Um, and so her kind of profound shame about this experience of not knowing as a mother should know was she was very aloof and she was very afraid. And, and so this story kind of came out in one visit, you know, when they're little, it doesn't take long. And then she ended up after we had the session, she changed her whole life around so that she was home more. And, and the dad actually took kind of a, a lesser paying job, even though it wasn't what he was trained for, just so she could be home more. So that was a really amazing story of how just a little bit of extra time to make sense of what's going on. And that, and she had been to the doctor many, many times and said, there's something wrong with the baby. And the doctor kept saying, no, the baby's fine. Wow. The baby was fine. So and that was just, true. And they just go <laughs> home and, and they're just at a loss because now what do you do? Yeah. But you really feel like there's something still there. Well, they're struggling. If they're struggling, yeah. something's wrong. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with right. the baby, but the, the distress is real. Yes, and there's a problem to be solved or a solution in there somewhere, even if at first glance you're like, nobody's really able to name it. Right. right. And over time, you were able to, to see it just kind of come, come to the surface for them to recognize things that they could change themselves that actually empowered them to have the result and, and what they yeah. wanted. Yes. Wow. So I know you say, you know, in this age of quick diagnoses and over-medication and in the field of education, we have just seen, I'll say it's rampant, how many kids are being diagnosed with ADHD, you know, now they come to school and they need a 504 plan. And um, tell me your thoughts and insights, because it, 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 I just love to hear what yeah. your thoughts are on that. Well, it's, it's a, such a fraught subject. Um, and this is where... Um, well, I would start by saying what I said is one of the layers of the story I listened to is what are the characteristics that the child has? Because certainly on a biological basis, there are some kids who are more easily distracted and have higher uh, 
energy levels and, uh, you know, all of those qualities that end up being subsumed under that diagnostic label. So, so there is that kind of reality. Um, but the way in which the child manifests those behaviors is very much influenced by the environment in which they live and how people make sense of their experience. Um, so they certainly might have what I would call genetic vulnerabilities. And it's important to know that there is no gene for ADHD, but certainly there are genes that are associated with those kinds of behaviors. Um, so a child might have that kind of vulnerability, but it, it, the way in which it affects them is determined by the environment that they're in. Um, so I wrote one uh, uh, piece that was called uh, something about their, you know, if you ever question the diagnosis of ADHD, you get a lot of pushback because people say, well, that is my kid. And I say, yes, yes, it is your kid. But and we say that, that about us. Oh, I must be misdiagnosed ADHD, right? How many times do adults say that? Yes, exactly. But it's so, so common. Those, those things, those experiences are real, but whether we call them a disease or a disorder is where we kind of have to rethink things. Um, you know, for example, many kids who carry the label of ADHD are um, extremely attentive and attuned to their environment. And, and I often find that parents will tell me this from even from when they were first born. And if you take time to observe babies, there's definitely difference in, in which they pay attention to their environment. So, you know, that may uh, manifest it as a kid who notices that there's like somebody cleaning the hall outside of the classroom because of their, their sensory sensitivities. And that doesn't mean there's something wrong with them, but it just means it's, it's something they have to find a way to manage. But then you also add on the layer, which, is, which has been shown in research is that if there's a lot of conflict in the home, so let's say there's, I certainly find this out a lot after a while that kids are diagnosed with ADHD. And then I find two months later or two years later that the parents got divorced. So there was a lot of stress and tension and, and sometimes even violence that was just never mentioned. Um, and the child was exhibiting, uh, the child might've had a sort of tendency in that direction. And then it became a full-blown ADHD with the stress of that kind of conflict in their home environment. Which is why I guess I'm just drawn to how you present it as there's always a story behind yes. there. Um, yes. You know, a, a family with a, a child with an IEP with behavior problems, you know, that there's a reason why. And, and, and is anybody connecting with that child in a positive way? Because a lot of it is so negative that, but there is a silver lining of something that child is good at. And how can we find that to sort of flip what yeah. we're all focusing on that is just bringing the family down and, and, and the child down. Um, yeah. So I just love how you use the word wonder. Hey, parents, if you just have a sense of wonder and taking that approach, taking a deep breath, pausing, um, help, helping your child maybe tell you more about what's going on, even though, you know, parents are like, how do I get my child to talk more? And someone was right. saying recently, uh, play something they want to play. And sometimes through play, a byproduct is they'll, they'll say something or someone will or say to them, what are your friends thinking right now? Sometimes that'll give you a clue into also them telling you what they're thinking. Yes. 
But I would also add, and this, this is in our, our my most recent book a lot. I mean, I know you're an educator, so the time you have children, they have language. But a lot of this is pre-verbal, the way kids communicate. And so when you're listening to babies, you're not saying to them, well, what's going on for you? But you are becoming a good observer of your own baby. And, and that's what I really also try to help parents to do, even from yes. the moment the baby is born, is to notice the, the way, because the baby doesn't have words, but yet they have. Right. So how do you do that? Capacity. If you spend time with a newborn baby, tremendous capacity to communicate. Well, I like to be held in this way. Well, this is too much for me, or, or I want to engage with you. They have. This is what the the influence of, of Barry Brazelton, the pediatrician, on our work, because he was really among the first to take time to appreciate that and catalog it into a, a set of observations. That that babies can communicate, but they communicate through their behavior. They don't communicate through language. And uh, we all communicate through behavior, uh, through the tone of our voice, I mean, throughout our lives, uh, right. not yeah. just um, as babies. So, so the other ways of communicating besides actual words uh, and thoughts are really important to pay attention to as well. To just observe, and I think we live in a society that's so quick paced, everyone's running 110 miles an hour, which defeats that purpose of being able to stop and observe because that takes yes. slowing down, pausing, yes. and it's the rat race that we find ourselves in. So I just think that's a beautiful call to parents and moms who, who have these, these young kids. Yes, it's worth it, invest in it. It's actually a treasure to do that and give that to your child, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm, it's so beautiful. But, yes, go ahead. And I would add, of course, that parents themselves need to be taken care of. You know, we're living so in a very tough time for parents now. And, and I mean, this gets to all sorts of more political issues, which is that we don't yeah. support parents in proportion of the significance of their role in our world. Mm. And so when parents are totally overwhelmed and expected to work and, and uh, supervise online schooling and, and right. you know, cook and they, all that it's stuff. Job. Right. Um, you know, that, that's just too much to ask. And it's kind of symbolic of how, what we ask parents to do all the time and how little support we give in the postpartum period, how little appreciation we have of, of the incredible adjustment it, that goes on with, with having a baby, whether it's your first or second or third or sixth, you know, to really appreciate the significance of that, um, with, you know, throughout your parenting life, uh, you need that kind of holding yourself as a parent in order to be able to wonder and be curious about your own child. That's beautiful. Um, so I know you, you had started, um, a community project in Western Massachusetts called the Hello, It's Me Project, which is about supporting parent-infant relationships in rural communities, rural, excuse me, communities with high needs and low resources. Is this the kind of work that you're doing to help 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 assist support those mothers? Yes. And so uh, my way in through that project is that kind of outline I gave you at the beginning is to create a community of um, so I don't work in the, in the Hello, It's Me project. I don't work directly with the families, but rather with the community, the, the practitioners in the community. Um, 
So it's kind of a parallel process. The idea is if we create a community of caregivers Mm -hmm. who have a similar model, a similar way of understanding how to listen to families and they can listen to each other and support each other, that that in turn, the next layer is that that way of listening is passed on when they listen to the parents. Mm -hmm. And then the the long-term outcome is that by creating that environment that supports parents is that the parents then better listen to the child. But the, the, the level at which my project um, functions is at the level of the practitioner. So that that's who I work with. So I, I run online courses where I talk about a lot of these things uh, that I've been telling you about we give opportunity for people to really get to know each other, people who are home visitors, pediatricians, uh, maternity nurses, the whole community of people who interface with families from different angles. Um, so kind of to create a, a, what I call an infant mental health informed community. Yeah. And then um, you can you hear a lot about trauma informed communities. This yeah. is a community that really understands the power of uh, connection and communication um, that babies have from birth. That's why it's called the Hello, It's Me project. Um, I know, I love that. Like the baby comes in, it's like, you know, here I am. I have a lot to say already. Um, to to really uh, listen to babies, listen to parents. Um, uh, and that's that's what the, the project is about. Well, and it just scales up your work because you yes. have more of an impact training the trainers and the, the the physical, you know, mental health workers who are touching all of those families and you can, you can scale it at a a larger size than you being able to actually work individually with each of those mothers in that community. Right. That is beautiful. Wow. I just love that. Well, thank you for being you, first of all, because when I read your work, I was like, I, I love her. Like she's on a mission to help and empower and, and, and really change all these lives. And and through this, it can be a shift to help change our next generation. But you're right. The mothers need that support. They need a community where they're taught this, A, and given that space to realize there is so much that they're doing that, that isn't always recognized. And, and we can't just say what's wrong with our next generation of learners and educators and kids growing in schools if we don't go back to, to the home and family unit to see, wait, what's really going on there? In what ways do they need so much more help? And um so I just love your your approach and, and I'm just excited. And can where can any listener find you and follow you? Where would you direct them? Well, I have a website, which is claudiamgoldmd.com. So that has information about all of my books. And I also um, am on Facebook, uh, uh, Keeping Your Child in Mind is my page. And I am, uh, I have to say I am on Twitter, but I am not adept at using Twitter. So um, I would say actually the best way is to sign up to receive, to go to my blog, which is on my website. And and then I send out a newsletter every two weeks. So if you sign up there, that's probably the best way to follow me. Perfect. And for all the listeners, I'll add that in the description notes of this podcast. Well, Dr. Gold, thank you so much for taking your time to share with us today. You are an inspiration and thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing. I'm sure you give a thousand percent. And for all of those who might have been impacted by you and not come back, I would just say on your behalf, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind of you. Yeah, thank you. 
Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Mom Powerment Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to help you live a happier, healthier life with your kids. Click subscribe today, and we can't wait to have you join us on our next episode. Thanks again. And remember, don't worry, be happy. Hey there, it's Karin. I hope that you're enjoying the show. And by the way, if you're a mom who wants to learn how to help your child when they're struggling behaviorally or facing challenges in school, get started today by getting my free short video course on first steps to mom empowerment. Go to www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in learning how to have a happy life and healthy life with your kids. So head on over to www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video and grab your free gift today.